Rackhouse Whiskey Club podcast. We're here with Lee Medoff at Bull Run Distillery here in Portland, Oregon. Thank you for having us. The hospitality has been great. We've tried 12 different whiskeys, it seems like, and some different wines and and uh, and finished in different barrels, which is you know what we'll get into in this podcast. Um, but first of all, thank you for having us. It's been a great time so far, and uh, the whiskey's been great and flowed well. We actually got to help fill some barrels as well yes didn't spill a drop at all didn't no we didn't and i i, I felt like the gas gets far you then so yeah exactly i'd be out of here everybody was worried that those that i didn't seal the, the gaskets up well enough <laughs> but uh it wasn't too hard to figure out but uh no and i appreciate you letting me help uh do some of that stuff because we don't actually get to help uh you know do some of that every single time we come here so well, it's whenever i can get free labor i take it yeah. <laughs> doesn't anybody right that's awesome well, tell us a little bit about Bull Run. Bull Run, uh, we're here in Portland, Oregon. Uh, this is, in Oregon is the mecca, as you know, being in Central America, uh, not the country, but the <laughs> Central United States, I should say. Uh, you know, Oregon in this type of the country, this part of the country is known as the mecca of craft whiskey, craft distilleries, um, and you guys have something special here that you're doing. Um, tell us a little bit about Bull Run. Sure, sure. Well, uh, welcome to the Rose City and uh, the, the, the promised land, it sounds like, for, uh, for drinking. Yeah. <laughs> right. I can verify that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, a little about Bull Run. Uh, Bull Run's my second distillery and hopefully my, my last one. And uh, it's focused on, uh, on whiskey, all things whiskey. And I started it originally to, uh, to make one specific kind of whiskey, which is, I like, is American uh, single malt, or American malted barley whiskey. Um, I think there is an opportunity uh, to create a whole new style of American whiskey uh, using malted barley. I think that in the craft uh, sector, you know, it's uh, you got to differentiate yourself somehow. And what we looked out there is really there isn't any history of making malted barley whiskey in the United States. It's all corn and rye, which is delicious and fantastic. But if you want to differentiate yourself, you know, uh, try a different type of grain. And I think that's what's good about craft distillation is people are doing a lot of using different different grains, different uh, ingredients, different uh, barrels, different uh, fermentation techniques, all these things differently to be able to uh, create a new type of of product and even create originality, a regionality of, yeah. uh, of product. And so I think that's all very, very exciting. It's all in its infancy right now, but that's what makes it even more exciting is that there's a lot of experimentation going on, trying things. And so uh, in our version of making our malted barley whiskey, we, we use Oregon malted barley. Uh, once again, we want to try to stick to that regionality, you know, use something that isn't just a simple commodity you can buy anywhere. And so uh, our grain comes from Southern Oregon. Um, we uh, fermented here, obviously, uh, but the nice thing we do with it is using a malted, with the malted barley, is I ferment it with ale yeast or beer yeast, and that gives a really interesting kind of beery character to it. I used to be a brewer, and so I like to kind of you know, keep uh, in that kind of heritage or that kind of connection going. Um, we aged it in new oak, which I think is the single most defining character of what I think American malted barley whiskey can be compared to like the Scotch or Irish or the Japanese is using new oak. I think that's part of the American palate, and I want to stay close to that as well. Um, but uh, it's, yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see that a lot of people are moving in uh, to this sector, and I think it's uh, time will tell, but I think we've got a really unique product out there. Why do you think this part of the country is known for more of its experimentation with different barrel finishes and infu infusions and stuff like that? 
Well, that's a good question. I mean, I think kind of historically, you know, even though a lot of people journeyed out, you know, through the Oregon Trail to get here, you know, we are a real pioneer state. And but once you got out here, you're pretty isolated, honestly. You know, uh, as far as railroads, you know, this took a long time to get out here. Uh, we were all by by uh, ship, you know, from ports. And it's, I think we were isolated out here for a long, long time. And I think, you know, growing up here as well, you know, I was born and raised here in Portland. And I would never have thought that we would be this uh, mecca or a promised land, you know, for, for beverages or food and things like that. I mean, this was a really sleepy backwater. And I think part of that was that kind of self-resilience. You know, you really kind of, you know, worked your home market. You didn't, uh, I think you, you didn't really look beyond uh, your, your backyard. And I think that uh, kind of helped with the engendering uh, a lot of the, the entrepreneurship that we find in the beverage industry here with you know, beer, wine, as well as spirits, is that I think we had a homegrown market that wanted their own products here. Yeah, and since you have that, uh, that sense of adventure <laughs> and the entrepreneurship that's involved here, you, get a, um, you build relationships with other uh, uh, wineries and other breweries and stuff like that. So, you, so you've, you know, some of the whiskeys that we've tried today was barrels finished with uh, cognac, with uh, with different types of wines. So, and that's that's kind of where your forefront is, right? Is, that, is so talk about a little about that. Yeah, no, I, it's one of the things I found is that, you know, being here, there's a lot of symbiosis going on with other people. And the great thing about having barrels, uh, which influence spirits enormously, but a lot of my used barrels, I give to other people. I give a lot of them to breweries, uh, but we've had people age their hot sauces in our barrels. Uh, we have, uh, you know, people putting tea, aging coffee in them. There's all these different things that were happening uh, with the barrels. But on the other side is, you know, I get a lot of barrels from people that, especially in the wine industry uh, to finish my product in. Uh, there's you know, vermouth barrels, brandy barrels, of course the wine barrels. But the nice thing about spirits I found was that they're so heavily affected by the barrel putting in there. Spirits are very stable. Unlike beer and wine, spirits don't age in the bottle. And that's a great thing. They're super stable, don't have to worry about the shelf life, anything on it. But, but that stability though means that nothing's happening to it. If it's sitting in stainless steel, sitting in a bottle, nothing's happening to it. So the only chance I have to really change my product and and make it more complex or, or or more unique is by putting it into different types of barrels and so that's uh, where the, the the whole sort of project came about was that I wanted to have something that was going to be more than just a another straight whiskey or a straight uh, rye whiskey of some sort and so um, being in Oregon here and uh, once again uh, uh, being a winemaker or wanting to be a winemaker sure. I, I segued out of that pretty quickly even though I love, love wine yeah. uh, but uh, the chance the opportunity to be able to get uh, access to a lot of wine barrels it was a great Oregon connection with the Oregon wine industry and with the Oregon distilling industry and uh, Pinot Noir is Oregon's number one red grape and uh, the opportunity to be able to get a lot of those barrels and finish our whiskeys in them has turned out to be a real success. It's uh, really, it's got that great connection, but also adds a complete different uh, nuance to the whiskeys. It's much, uh, it has a, a level of dryness, the kind of tannins you get from wine are translated into the whiskey itself. And of course, the beautiful colors you get from that. Yeah, it's completely different uh, line extension from a typical, uh, you know, a new oak aged whiskey. Yeah. Do you think that some of the experimentation you've done has came from you know, some of your background that you've had and some of the, you, you, you mentioned that you were also a brewer, you were also, you worked at a winery. Does that have influence in the whiskey making now? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I was very fortunate enough to uh, start brewing uh, 
well, back in 1990. I'm, I'm really aging myself here, but uh, mm-hmm. it, uh, it was at a time when the craft distillation was just exploding, and I was able to get in kind of on the ground floor of that. And the, uh, the brewery I worked for, McMinimins, uh, was all about experimentation and encouraged it. And that's why I think, you know, it's really stuck with me as well. Uh, the same thing with, uh, with winemaking. I mean, uh, th- I worked in France, which is a land of tradition, and that was kind of the, uh, the opposite. But what I found about that was that, you know, the, the tradition of making wine and how you do that, you can still make it in a traditional way, yet you can, given the region, the reality of it, that's what really impressed me was that what was being done in, in my little section of the hill, the grapes that we were getting from that little section was completely different from the other section across the, the road. Really? And so even though it was full, you're doing things very traditionally, that idea of terroir or regionality or location really struck me. And uh, once again, coming back to, uh, to Oregon, you realize that while well, I'm dealing with a lot of the same grapes, you know, Pinot Noir, especially, I was working in Burgundy, uh, that, you know, our, our grapes here and our terroir is completely different. And so that regionality is something that really has impressed me. And that's why I try and capture in my spirits I make as well. And that's by the, the type of uh, grapes I use, the water we use as well, um, not grapes, but grain that I use, um, and the um, water I use, but also the fact that it's being uh, aged here in this climate. You know, this is not Scotland. This is not Kentucky. This is Western Oregon. We really do have four distinct seasons here. Very gentle heating and cooling of the atmosphere throughout the year. It's not just, you know, these hot, cold, very, very gentle aging what happens in the barrels. And so very excited to see. I think I have uh, high hopes for uh, Western Oregon being a great place to age whiskey. Yeah, well, it seems to be that it is. Um, you know, we were just getting breakfast this morning and saw distilleries coming left and right there's breweries all over the place when we got our rental car at the airport they said we have this 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 state likes to likes to get drunk she said i said, <laughs> I said well then that's why we're here baby that's good sounds fun um but uh, there's also you know a new tradition a new forefront of things that i think people are seeking that i'm seeking i mean uh, i think a lot of uh, younger people that uh, are, are new to the industry are, are learning more about it you can see various differences in whiskeys that are aged in different barrels that are infused with different things that you can see the um, the ideas behind the master distiller that are doing these sorts of things versus going to which is also important but going to an education piece where you try different types of whiskeys in your palate and your different the notes that you pull out but then again as you know the notes that you taste are different than the notes that I taste. So at the end of the day, what does that really matter? If it tastes good, it tastes good. But with this, you can it, it, you don't need to be a master taster to taste the difference or see the difference or understand the story behind what you're doing. Um, and that, that, that's, I think that's what interests me the most about this is that it's, it's very distinct. Um, and a lot of people or a lot of distillers, a lot of businesses out here are doing these sorts of distinctly different uh, uh, taste so you get two different broad spectrums and obviously you talked about the climate that also helps a bit the mountains and the landscape doesn't hurt at all with it being so beautiful this is my first time actually being out here and uh, this is a place in the country that I've always wanted to come to some of my best friends are from here um, and we brought uh, a, a Rackhouse Whiskey Club member with us today uh, with, named Miles he was telling us that uh, there's huge hops uh, farms out here. I had no idea. Yes, you know, so it's, yes. This is an alcohol-making machine for a state, uh, <laughs> you know, in, in every single uh, sense of the word. And so you've got yourself a 
beautiful setup here. Um, the, the, the location is, is perfect and great. Uh, before uh, our, our videographers and our photographer left, we, they were talking about some black mold on the roof that I've <laughs> never heard before. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you're talking about, because this is the first time I've heard this. Well, it's a result of the angel's share, which is uh, the way we speak about the evaporation of alcohol that comes from the barrels. And uh, when you walk out back into our rack house, I mean, you almost people always uh, say like, "Oh, it smells so good back here, so nice," because it smells like wood and it smells like you know whiskey. It's really really delicious, you know, kind of a, a aroma out there. But what that is is it's the evaporation of the alcohol, and it happens all the time, every single day, every minute of the day, it's happening, and. Uh, the angels can be greedy sometimes <laughs> and uh, what it means is that inside the barrel you're losing volume in there uh, but it's necessary uh, aspect of, of aging uh, your whiskies but as it evaporates it uh, it creates this black mold and so uh, I like mm. to tell people when they walk outside, look at the top of our building out there, that's not pollution and dirt or anything else. That's actually just black mold that develops wow. from the alcohol evaporation. And, uh, you know, what from what I understand is, you know, revenuers, may they still do it. They can fly over the countryside. They look down. If there was a barn or a house that had or a shed that was had a black roof on it, they knew that the alcohol was either being made or stored there. Mm. But uh, we pay our taxes here, so we don't have to worry <laughs> about being raided or anything. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's uh, interesting. Every time I go outside sometimes I look up there and say that needs to be cleaned off and I thought no no that's so that's, it's, it's that's on the nice. outside of the roof <laughs> yes and it's not on the inside so the alcohol is coming from mm -hmm. the inside and somehow mm -hmm. the mold is growing from the outside of yeah. that barrier well, if you looked up at the very top of our rafters up there you'll see some of the little black uh, mold up there as well but yeah, yeah but it, it pervades uh, the, the entire roof of the building wow and that's obviously completely safe it's not mold mm. that can hurt you no i wouldn't lick it though or eat it but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's interesting but it's not just here this is everywhere yes yeah, so, you know if you go back to kentucky and places like that that have a lot more rack houses and things like that you'll find it there as well Wow. Mm -hmm. And this is invisible mm -hmm. to the naked eye. This is something that just keeps building. Right. You can't see it. Like I said, you walk into our rack house, you can smell it, and it's, it's, it's happening all the time, but you can't see it. It's yeah. unseen. Wow. See, out of all the places that we've gone to, no one's ever, ever uh, either they didn't admit it or, or else they were up there cleaning it. I doubt that. Or they never talked about that. Or maybe they don't even know it. I would imagine that there's probably some that are like, what in the hell is that? Well, probably people don't like to associate mold with whiskey. So right? They don't. <laughs> You know what though? Mold uh, created penicillin and that saved a lot of people. So, oh, that's interesting. So, uh, how many distilleries are in around the area? Oh my goodness. There's, uh, I think we, we started the Oregon Distillers Guild, in fact, back in 2006. And I think there's about a dozen of us that got together, kind of had a critical mass. And I think right now, I think there's over 70 small distilleries in the state of Oregon right now. 70. Yeah, and they're all over the place, all over uh, the state. Uh, right here in the metro area, there's... Um, there's got to be at least a dozen, yeah, in the, in the metro area alone. Yeah. So it's it's and there's people uh, opening up all the time. I think uh, we just had a uh, meeting not too long ago, and I met some people I hadn't even heard of that had distilleries. So they're wow. they're cropping up everywhere. That's so. amazing. Well, something that you got a hold of very very uh, uh, early on mm -hmm. was uh, the name Bull Run. I think that that's mm -hmm. a, a name that uh, holds mm -hmm. true to this. Uh, this sounds like this city. Uh, but something that's very important in the whiskey industry is water. And uh, obviously that name comes from there. I shouldn't say obviously because I didn't know this. But, but talk about that name uh, that's uh, a very important part of your product. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's water... 
pretty much like half of what's in a bottle of alcohol is water. And I think a lot of consumers don't uh, you know, consider that or think about that. And, uh, but water is used to cut your product down from its uh, distillation strength to barrel strength to bottle strength. And so water is in the process all the time. Um, and we're fortunate to have a really interesting, unique water source here in Portland in particular. Uh, it's fed from the Bull Run watershed, uh, which is a, a lake up in the Cascades. It's, uh, it's not treated with anything except a little bit of chlorine at the headwaters, and it flows to Portland by gravity. In fact, it was uh, in wooden pipes. In fact, there actually might be wooden pipes still at some sections of it. Wow. Uh, but it flows to Portland, and it's not treated. There's no fluoride. There's nothing in our water. It's pretty raw water. But it's a very, very soft water. And soft water is, uh, if you ever try to take a shower with soft water, you feel like you can't get the soap off you. It has this kind of oilier, creamier, softer mouthfeel. And uh, in broad terms, you have hard water and soft water. You know, hard water is you know, more calcified. And so it's going to have a sharper edge to it, a leaner sort of character. And it's kind of hard to detect unless you're looking for it. And I think a lot of distilleries and a lot of even brewers don't talk a lot about the water, but it was a really important aspect to fermentation as well as, you know, finishing your product. Um, but we decided that uh, that's going to be one of our things that we really want to let people know about is that, you know, the, the, the finish on a lot of our products that we make here is on account of that water. Yeah, that's awesome. I, you know... Because you have a bull as part of your logo, and yes. uh, you know, I think people would assume that it has something to do with the bull. But then, when you're out here in Oregon, and you know, Miles being uh, from Oregon, he talked about how it rains four months out of the year. It seems like sometimes water is like in the genes of humans out here. It's a very important aspect of it. So the fact that it has to do with that only now makes sense. Um, that's really interesting. So water comes down. It feeds this. This, this water is it. it it produces water for all of the city, correct? Like the tap water that you pull out is going to be from the same water. Yes, source. it's specifically, I don't know exactly the exact geographical area, sure. but it's specifically to Portland. And so outlying suburbs and things uh, aren't tapped into that. Okay, that's amazing. And uh, how many names did you go through before you came to Bull Run? Oh, let me see. How many beers did we go through? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. Did they come from some beers? And you're like, ah, this sounds great. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot of origin stories. But uh, my partners and I were sitting around, uh, you know, discussing names. And we didn't want anything too specific to Portland. It just seemed too obvious. You know, we don't want to be Port Portland Distilling Company. We're Willamette Distilling Company, which is the river that runs through Portland. And there's a lot of things that have been used before Columbia, Cascade, things like that. And then we kind of hit on Bull Run. And uh, it sounded good. And the more beers we had, the better it sounded. And I think mm -hmm. eventually it, uh, you know, it, it also, being a whiskey distillery, it had a nice connotation for whiskey. It had a kind of a masculine character to it, a whiskey character to it. And so uh, by the final beer, it stuck. And here we are. It's, it's amazing that you, um, like when, when I meet someone like yourself who is, I mean, from my experience, is, is someone who's an, an expert in this field. I know you might be a humble and say yeah, maybe not, but it's <laughs> when you when you pull out this name and, and you start to, you're very good at describing uh, notes and characteristics of not just what's in a product, but what's in the label itself. Um, it's interesting to hear yourself and others who I would consider that it's it's interesting because you're a hundred percent right. Bull does have that masculine characteristic. Your products also have a softer. When we first dipped our finger in there and got some of that 
barrel proof mm-hmm. when we were mm-hmm. filling up those mm-hmm. barrels it was like a creamy butter like no kidding mm-hmm. uh honey creamy butter that was just as strong as you could be mm-hmm. that's absolutely what i get from guys like yourself so maybe that comes from experience i hope to be just like you someday because i you know i'm still i'm still missing that I'm, i overthink things sometimes um so that's just gotta awesome. just, just sample more and more and more just keep drinking. Yeah, keep, keep sampling and drinking just keep more beers more whiskey is all that cakes train your awesome. palate yeah yeah and and so the 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 lady who's not here today jennifer yes. uh who's who's whom we may go see later may not go see later but who's also a very important aspect of this what is what is how does jennifer uh play a role here oh my goodness uh, without jennifer uh nothing would get done here so yeah <laughs> she's very integral to everything that goes on uh we call her the xo the executive officer because uh yeah she she definitely gets things done around here but no she's she is uh, really in charge of sales and marketing uh which is uh, actually the most difficult part I mean yeah. it's uh, actually making the product is really easy but you know getting it out there and sold and marketed is really the biggest challenge out there and she has a lot of great ideas uh, in fact uh, she's out in our second tasting room which is in Carlton Oregon which is in wine country and it was a really good fit uh, for it but it was her idea to go out there because we do a lot of work with other wineries we get their barrels we have a, a vermouth barrel from one winery we get a lot of our Pinot Noir barrels from a lot of wineries out there and Carlton is a is a big tasting room hub. They must have, I think, you know, maybe a dozen uh, winery tasting rooms out there. Mm-hmm. And so it was a great location, but that was her idea to get out there and, uh, and open it up. And it's been incredibly successful. In fact, they're at a big cocktail crawl uh, event that's going on out there in a uh, wine town. So it just tells you uh, what, how much people want spirits. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, no, she is very integral to uh, a lot of the, the look, the design, our social media, all that. And so without her, um, I would just be sitting around making whiskey and drinking it myself. <laughs> <laughs> Which isn't too bad, I guess. Not too bad on the life. That's awesome. The, everyone that we've met here is amazing. Uh, like I said, the location is, is, is really uh, uh, uh built very well it's built for scale you've got three different locations or two uh well we have two uh tasting rooms and then i have another location where we do all our, our major bottling as well gotcha. so. okay okay so if you were to um you know get an idea of this industry in oregon mm-hmm. it's it's obviously mm-hmm. you said 70 plus distilleries mm-hmm. in this state when do you think that it would hit a maximum point do you think it could mm-hmm. get too crowded i not sure necessarily. I think the um, the industry is changing. I think craft distilling has changed the industry. I think uh, with the way it's set up with distribution, I think that's the model for the big national distri- dist- uh, distilleries. They've kind of got that locked in. And so I think tapping into like world or, or nationwide 50 state distribution is really not the way to go with craft distillation. I think you can make a really successful business being regional or local. I look at the brewing industry actually as a good example of this. You know, there's, uh, you know, craft brewing exploded just like craft distillations exploded. You know, a lot of people, you know, jumped up and got big right away and got into distribution, you know, and I think the, the whole distribution model is changing. But the other, once again, taking the, the brewer's model, you know, the brew pub, you know, being like a, just having a pub, selling your beer locally to your local neighborhood. It, it was a really successful model for a lot of people. And so I think you're going to see craft distillation doing the same thing is instead of trying to chase after distribution, which is more and more and more difficult, you can create something that has a much more of a, of a, a local feel to it and still make a successful business out of it. And so I think there's plenty of room. I just think it's going to be up to what people, the, the distillery themselves, how big or how 
what type of business do they want to have? Do they want to chase after distribution? Well, then that's going to take a lot more time, effort, and money. Or do you want to, you know, own your backyard? And I think this can be a lot easier way to do it. Yeah, yeah. Well, when your backyard mm -hmm. is is large, mm -hmm. it, it can be it can be difficult sometimes. Um, but distribution is almost like that gatekeeper, isn't? Aren't they? You know, mm -hmm. but we see online changing mm -hmm. now. Yes. Um, you know, we see we see different collaborations happening, mm -hmm. which is good mm -hmm. and bad mm -hmm. that we've seen. It's competition can 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 bring innovation in a lot of ways. And I think when you have a lot of people fighting for that place, but then I've also seen and in, in, in experienced this, oh, it's like a, a, everyone seems to, to, to help each other. There's a big enough pie for everybody um, in this craft industry. And it seems like everybody's kind of uh, giving um, advice when it's needed or asked. And I feel like there's innovation will absolutely come through at the end of the day. Do you, do you believe that oh. when it's with, with these big, huge collaborations that we've talked about? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, one of the strongest things that craft distillers have is the fact that they're able to be nimble and they're able to innovate and create and the fact that we all get along. And that's uh, what's really nice. The Oregon Distillers Guild, as I mentioned, was created, you know, uh, to do several things. One was legislative things. You know, we, we work in a control state. And so working with the Oregon Liquor Control Commission was very important. And we've been batting a thousand almost with our uh, agenda with that, you know, getting things changed we can do things that uh, couldn't be done you know, you know 10 years ago if it wasn't for the guild that's been really good it was also uh, created as a marketing arm you know market Oregon spirits and instead of just marketing yourself we market Oregon spirits but the other thing that was probably still the most important is mm. the fraternal aspect of it you know we are all in this together you know all boats are rising with the tide and you know we share you know uh, you know drinks and beers all the time but also we share ideas and knowledge and equipment and you know, we help each other and that's so awesome. so i think that's very very important you know for the overall industry is to is to kind of you know be together on everything and i think there's a, that that i think is going to breed success any distillery owner in the state that's not doing this listen up this is exactly <laughs> how it should work uh the states that we've gone to um and this, the distillery owners that we've spoken to it seems like this is exactly what's going on and things get changed this way um you know we're it's unfortunate that someone in uh, a state that you guys can't distribute to or don't distribute to can't get your product because it's amazing and now i think if we can all work together at this to create a better system it's never going to be perfect um i think that it can all be better for lots of people because heck travel travel more let's come to this yeah. come to this city experience this distillery come to this tasting room um meet, come over here and meet lee and jennifer and all their employees and experience some of my gosh this whiskey it's amazing i'm glad that you guys um have the abilities to experiment with and you have the access to get some different barrels and to do this experimentation um because I have tried some things I've never had in my life today, and that uh, is what you should do in life, right? Well, good. That's what we're all about here is uh, giving people a, a good experience. Yeah. Well, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for um, your hospitality today. I really mean that. You've been uh, uh, it, it's been a great host, and uh, you've let us try some great whiskeys. Thank you. Well, thank you. We'll try some more. <laughs> I appreciate it, sir. Great. Thank you. And that is it.